Good day, and welcome to Far Reaches. We are four people from similar parts of the world who have wound up chasing different dreams and living different lives. We are Richard, Raleigh, Joel, and Micah. Richard and Micah are from Southeast Oregon, from two small ranching communities known as Pine Creek and Plush. Raleigh and Joel are from Northeast Oregon, from the Pendleton area. We met through college, mutual friends, and heard of stories of each other. Somehow wound up being at the same place at the same time. See, we live and work in different parts of the U.S. now and have all taken different paths to get to where we are. We all talk separately and live far apart. So we decided we should try and talk more together. We hope you come along and enjoy. Ah, good day, good day. How your mom and them? I know I stir you guys every time I say that, but welcome back to Far Reaches Podcast. We are down a we're down a reacher at the moment, <laughs> a far reacher at that. Uh, Raleigh's uh, still MIA somewhere, but uh, he comes and joins us. Well, then we'll meet them mercilessly. And as usual, since he's not here, he's obviously busy somewhere else, uh, taking a poop. So uh, we right now have uh, Mr. Richard, Joel, and myself, Micah. We are the Far Reaches Podcast. We can be found at wherever you find your podcast. If it's not there, you're not looking hard enough. And also, thank goodness in the Lord above, we're found on YouTube as well. So you can watch this magic unfold right before your eyes. So we'll jump right in. Uh, Richard, Joel, good day, boys. How you doing? I'm doing good. I'd like to hear it. Hey, Mike. Mr. Joel, we are talking a little bit, uh, <laughs> you know, we have a little bit of... Uh, pre-talk usually before we hit our recording because people get online at different times and we try to just uh say howdy a little bit um and sometimes we have some hidden gems that usually just pop out there we're like well shiitake definitely should have been recording so we were discussing some of the local lore of pendleton and joel we could talk about it a bit more or we can just leave it at that and tease people but uh you want to dive back into that or do you want to let just let them kind of think about like jesus what were these guys talking about now before we came uh, quote unquote on the air well we'll just tell them the story briefly uh we were talking about the rainbow i was there the other day and <clears throat> there's a pair of chaps that hang up on the wall and i brought up that i i heard that raleigh had stripped down naked and put the chaps on and <laughs> lit toilet paper out of his butt and ran out of the bathroom through the bar and uh, Junior said he did that too, and I I never heard him doing it. And there was another person that did it that yep. so we won't bring him into it. But he can rename nameless for now. Yes, um, yeah. I wasn't there for so, either of those, but uh, I've heard the story many times around the campfire. And as I know, yes, Rawls and uh, I believe the official term is the flaming asshole. Is what it is. <laughs> is you uh, you grab the shafts. Of course, it's busy. Rainbow is a, a world famous tavern in, in Pendleton, Oregon. For those you've never been there and if you haven't please put it on your list uh there's a lot of paraphernalia on the walls uh including a famous picture of a.e mccormick that we'll go into at another time um one of the things on the wall is pair of shafts that have the rainbow and the brand on them and such and so the thing was you steal those and you you, you set the deal up with your buddies where you go to the bathroom and you strip down naked take some toilet paper and place it between the cheeks Light it on fire and literally haul ass through the rainbow uh, through the front doors into Main Street. And hopefully your buddy you had planned it with is still waiting for you outside on the street in the rig to pick you up. Uh, and your other buddies in the bathroom gathered up all your personal items so that you can uh, make your way out of the bar. So 
every so often it wouldn't get wild and and that would happen so as it turns out what, or, what year was this uh four i think uh no i don't know for sure uh, not not seems yeah, like you couldn't get away with that at all well i think 10 Anymore. years ago maybe i don't know maybe longer but uh, you gotta remember the rainbow gets kind of western at times so uh, i think yeah. we lost richard he's just, either that or he's just staring at us in complete <laughs> dumbfounded but i think we lost him he'll be back but <laughs> that's probably the most intellectual look on seeing on richard's face in a while so. <laughs> but yeah the rainbow is one of those places where you know if you uh if you get to town you gotta hit it up and it kind of says something about how your night was too you know like how was your uh what'd you do thursday I had a little dinner at uh, Sims, you know, and then wandered around and then uh, stumbled into the bow and like, ah, okay, well, yeah, you know, so there you got that going on. So, yeah. Oh, perfect. I've night. never not had a good trip to the rainbow. See? Yeah. There's always something entertaining. Um, yeah. Quite the festivities. You never well, know. It's such a cross section. They are open again. They are. Sounds like that's awesome. Pretty good time. Yeah. That's, uh, that's, that's just how Pendleton's supposed to be. So, speaking of that, should we run around the room and give our, uh, our little weekly updates? What's going on in our little twisted world? Joel, you look pretty intense. We'll start with you. Sure. Sure. Yeah, I had a fully packed week. Um, I went and looked, I guess, start with, I went and looked at all the goats that are along the river. Oh, yeah. Took a bike ride down. <clears throat> so... My brother lives by BMCC, kind of that part of town, um, which is the community college. Uh, I rode the bike down to the bike path along the river walkway and rode that all the way to Main Street. Mm -hmm. um, but along the way, we stopped and watched the 350 goats on that side of the river for about 20 minutes, which is very entertaining stuff. So the goats are down there uh, eating some of the brush and stuff away from the river's banks and along the area and a pretty handy way to keep it cleaned up a bit. Yeah. So I heard they have to pay like $30,000 for two and a half weeks of goat usage. Uh, yeah. I actually know a guy in the Willamette Valley who used to raise a lot of cows and then he started raising goats and he was contracted them out for that for uh, Oh, you know, blackberry patches around off ramps and things of that nature and, and some stuff in towns. And he's like, I, I make way better money on my goat stuff than I do with my cows. I still keep my cows, but uh, yeah, I make a lot of money with my goats. So, yeah. So we did that. And then we went camping up to Meacham for a night. Oh, yeah. Um, <clears throat> I had a buddy come from, my friend and his wife came down from Seattle uh, to get out of that. For a weekend, restaurant. That, that was really funny because my friend Billy is like six, seven, probably three hundred pounds. He's a big fella. Mm -hmm. Played football. Played in a Rose Bowl for Washington State. <clears throat> Just a big guy. He's yeah. a lineman. And uh, they stopped at Walmart <laughs> to buy a sleeping bags. Uh, oh, didn't bring any with them. Duct tape two together. Yeah. They, they, <laughs> Well, he got those cocoon ones. They only had two options, like a children's one and the cocoon ones. And uh, it was a pretty oh, like cool a, night. Like a mummy bag kind of thing? Yeah, yeah, yeah. a mummy bag. And uh, I guess he could barely get it past his thighs. <laughs> <laughs> so yes. he, 
being of he similar had a pretty stature, miserable I can, night. I can uh, attest that um, I usually have to buy the super mega uh, sleeping bags, or I have my bedroll, which is just a big, huge piece of tarp with some buckles on it that you can cram blankets and foam pads and stuff. And I usually take on my excursions because of that. Yeah. Being about six, four, right around 300 myself. Yeah. It's, you can't find the average sleeping bag that's going to, unless you bring one up from the bottom and then take another one and put it over the top, you know, so, <laughs> but I can't sleep that way. So. And then uh, <clears throat> on that same trip, Brian and Jennifer, they forgot to throw in sleeping bags too. So they were pretty miserable themselves. I slept comfortably. I was pretty testy. Uh, I'm just dying. What else did I do? I, the the, uh, the brother and sister-in-law forgot sleeping bags. That is, <laughs> that's pretty classic right there. Yeah. Did you yeah. tell them they were going yeah, we, camping? <laughs> <laughs> Show up here for a day. Oh, by the way, we're camping. Yeah. <laughs> I think Jennifer was in charge of the sleeping bags. That's probably what happened. Uh, then, uh, yeah, I went to we had a dinner at Semiotis over the weekend, some time with Rainbow. Um, what else did we do? Helped open up the pool. Yesterday was my girlfriend's birthday, so we had a dinner, family dinner. Outstanding. Yeah. Pretty good week. That's a pretty good little uh, Pendletonian week right there, my friend. Yeah. Not bad. Richard... What's happening? I got to live my Bonanza dream this weekend. It was awesome. Just like little Joe. What's that? I was out like amongst the ponderosas, trailing some cows in a green meadow. Came around a corner, ran into an Indian princess. It was amazing. But later I found out it was all a big scam. They were trying to trap me. No. <laughs> Look at Joel. Joel that, was the, that was the, that was the, the thought I was having as I was working this weekend um, because we've been fortunate enough to lease and it's been on the download until we actually got cattle there. We leased a beautiful ranch in Southern Oregon that has uh, always been one of my favorite places. Um, I actually got off the nerve when I was like 12 to call up the owners and ask them when they were, on, when they were done with it if I could buy it. Um, <laughs> That's outstanding. Yes. Uh, but the guy that did that owned it is just this amazing guy. He's since passed. And the guy that managed it was the, well, so to give you a little history, um, before the Marlboro Man, there was a guy named uh, Durham Man for Durham cigarettes. And it was a cowboy figure. Well, he is the one that came up with the advertising campaign that was Durham Man, then later became the Marlboro Man. And uh, the guy that ran it and managed the cattle on it was the original Marlboro Man. So, um, anyways. Peaked in history. This, this, this ranch is just beautiful. And uh, just had, a, I like had three beers, which I haven't done in eons. Uh, ran some calves, I roped. Not supposed to rope at your own branding, but you know, I, just wanted to, I just wanted to get the entire experience. Uh, one of our college buddies, Shad, got bucked off, which just added to the richness. Oh, poor Shadwick was there. Oh, you should have seen the fear in his eyes as the horse ran by my 
but uh, he uh, recovered and uh, yeah, it was a good weekend. And just been doing some odds and ends and uh, working on my seventh and eighth grade English. Failed on my ninth graders, so I got a lot of work in. Keep, keep working at it; it'll come along. It'll yeah. get better. <laughs> so, anyways, uh, can't think of oh. And then the other highlight of the week is today Joe Rogan printed me on LinkedIn. Uh, we had a nice conversation. It developed into a Bitcoin salesman and uh, <laughs> I had to turn him in for spam, but for fleeting 30 seconds. You know, I thought he was calling up to see if we could get far reaches on Spotify, you know, to warm, like a warm-up band, you know. Yeah. But, yeah. Uh, my hopes were dashed. Dang it. So close. Just like the Indian princess. <laughs> okay. Oh, that's hilarious. Joel, are you hey. clicking a paperclip or something? That's me. I'm sorry. Oh, yeah. damn it, Janet. It's been driving me nuts. Okay. Yeah. I, I am, but the, it's, not, it's not the oh, one okay. making noise. Yeah, here to click, click, click. Yeah, when uh, Richard said the Joel Rogan thing, I was like, oh, that's too funny. Yeah, I'm sure there's a whole bunch of girls on Instagram that want to say hi, too. So, <laughs> Does anybody else get those? It's just hilarious. Like, 30 a day, so-and-so wants to send you a message. Yeah, enjoy. I get them, uh, uh, I get them on no, LinkedIn, no, and I go and check all their followers, and there's 500 dudes. I'm like, I don't think this is legit. <laughs> 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 yeah yeah that's hilarious <laughs> Joel, Joel have you seen Bonanza do you know what Richard was talking about no oh okay what was it Is that, that was a TV show TV show yeah TV show. 60s I think yeah, well before my time a little bit even before mine maybe it wasn't the 60s uh, 50s 70s yeah I remember watching it as a in my youth but uh like come yeah. on after like little house on the, or something. Little House on the Prairie. Yeah. Perry Mason. No, little House on the Prairie. Uh, that was that was later. Little House on the Prairie was uh, good. T TBS afternoon lineup. Yep, I used to watch it at, uh, when I come home for lunch from middle school. Yeah. Uh, let's see. According to IMDb, yeah, there's like 430 episodes. It's it's very prolific. Um, I think it started in the late 60s. It was the, yeah. it was the vehicle that carried Michael Landon to fame. Yes, launched him as Little Joe into, I think, what was Little House and other things after that nature. Lauren Green. Uh, Highway yeah. to Heaven, man. Yeah. I think that, that was, too. That was yeah. his big break. That was after I, I, Little Outhouse on the Prairie, actually, was Highway to Heaven. For a long time, whenever I wanted to like shut it down at night, Calm down, relax, and watch TV and fall asleep. I just put Little House on, the, or not Little House on the Ray, but uh, Highway to Heaven. Oh, yeah. That was yeah, a good show. That's on, uh, I watch Cozy TV every morning. That's where I get my uh, Murder She Wrote fix. And uh, <laughs> Highway to Heaven's on there, like a, in the afternoons or something. Yeah. But uh, yeah, Bonanza was 59 to 73. So apparently I was watching the reruns. But yeah. You were oh, probably, man. you're probably old enough. I don't know how old you are, Richard, but you guys are probably old enough. You probably watched Saved by the Bell live. Oh, yeah, definitely. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I, uh, Kelly Kapowski. So I watched uh, Saved by the Bell live hungover in my dorm room. 
Damn, what's that Zach Morris up to this week? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's awesome. <laughs> yeah, that's how old we are. I think I could. I think I could beat just about anybody at Saved by the Bell trivia. I'm sure you could. Confidently. Yeah. Back in the day, I have to tell my son this. I had to wait until 7.30 or 7 o'clock on Thursdays to watch the AT. Mm, yes. That's how rough it was. You had to wait. Yeah, if you <laughs> missed it, too freaking bad. Unless your buddy taped it, you ain't watching it. You know, like. <laughs> not only that, I had to go and dial TV into the right station. Exactly. Yeah, well, we, we were, when I was younger, uh, we saved up for geez, probably a year and a half and bought a satellite dish, you know, the one that was like 12 or 15 foot. I had to dig a four by four by four hole and put the pole in it and pour it full of concrete uh, to hold the satellite dish up. So when the wind came by or the snow, it wouldn't tear it out of the ground. That's, that's a lot of digging. Yeah. And gladly though, gladly. So then, yeah, whenever you want to change channel, I mean, you had the TV guide that came with that when you had satellite was literally like, foot and a half to two foot tall and when you open it up it was probably almost three foot wide because you had all these freaking channels uh and you, you know dig through and then you found it. it's like oh, oh g10 11 so then you gotta rah, 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 over to g10 find channel 11 yeah it was insane my favorite part of the satellite was um the satellites in the orbit would phase out so like you'd be watching something and then that satellite would go somewhere else and then you'd have to go pick the channel up somewhere. But sometimes the next satellite that came on had different programming. Oh yeah, We were watching uh, Disney Channel and everybody was in the kitchen playing cards. It's pretty late. And uh, the satellite's going across the sky, fades out. Next channel that comes in, penthouse. Yeah, they were fairly close um, on the same band, I believe. <laughs> so one know. came in penthouse channel yeah oh, so they're nice. watching watching disney of course strike splitting that to your parents and everybody's over yeah. the adults <laughs> are playing cards in the other room and then honest it just switched to penthouse yeah um likely story <laughs> likely story little tech master yeah those were uh those were something else and then the guy that sold us the satellite i remember him telling us he's like someday you're going to have a little satellite dish on the side of your house that picks up everything. Like, and that was like eons before like Dish Network and DirecTV came around. But when they first came out, I was like, holy crap. Eddie was right. Like he knew it was crazy. Those little tiny dishes that poor people always have on their house. Yeah. Yeah. For a while, that was like a sign of, uh, you know, uppityness. <coughs> yeah. Dish at DirecTV <laughs> or Dish Network. That was, we had that in college and we were, absolutely man we had that in college oh yeah we had uh we had comedy central then no nobody else did so we could watch freaking um south park we'd have south park parties at the house it was about that. Yeah. yeah like we'd watch it we'd watch the eastern feed at like seven but just the house all 30 of us that live there and then, so we'd watch it and then about eight or eight thirty or nine everybody else starts piling in the house we'd have like 50 people piled in the front room to watch the regular feed at 10 o'clock of South Park because you could only watch it on Comedy Central. You couldn't fucking watch it online uh, and local cable in town did not have Comedy Central. So that's the only place you could watch it. 
Yeah, it was popular. Indeed, yes. It was not the only reason, but one of them. Yeah, South Park parties. That was just another reason for everybody to come over, really. <laughs> yeah. That was the reason to come over on Tuesday. Yes, there was a reason pretty much every day to be at the White House. Uh, <laughs> they pretty much had to have a reason not for people to come to the White House. <laughs> The house that was never locked. You never knew who was going to be in the front room when you got home, um, or what you're. Not an outbreak of crabs. Don't come in. Yeah. <laughs> if you want to cure the Rona, I think there's a cure for the Rona in that carpet, dude. That stuff was evil. Oh. That carpet, man. We cleaned that carpet a couple times. We picked up rocks about the size of a quarter out of that thing. I don't know where they came from. No, it was. We could have a whole episode or two on just the White House, no doubt. I'm just saying, yeah. Hey, what's your, what was up with your week? Uh, my week was mostly uh, accepting a job in Florida and then dealing with the aftermath of what that's going to mean. And I uh, started my official paperwork today, you know, only uh, remote HR Congrats. stuff. So, what, did you have to register with TMC for the Florida Man special? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I've been playing the new Florida Man. So, uh, <laughs> thank you, Joel, too, by the way. Got to pick out my own laptop and get a brand new laptop shipped to me. That's a new for me. Usually, you uh, you get the one when you show up the last person was pissed at. So, it would be a totally new experience to have a brand new laptop getting shipped to me. Um, Do you have to go to Florida? Eventually, yes. Eventually. You're going to have to move there? Yes. What town? Gainesville area. Oh. Yeah. So I have some, a uh, couple connections there already. One of my former salesmen lives just north of that. Uh, has been a good friend of mine for since we first met. So that's pretty cool. And another friend from high school, her husband is a realtor in that part of the world. So that's a pretty handy deal. I didn't really yeah. realize that's what part they were in. So a lot of cool things. Oh, you're going to be that, you're going to be that close. Yeah. Process, huh? Yeah. Nice. Yeah. So uh, that's been really handy. Uh, so in preparation for that, I was cracking up when Richard was telling his story about meeting Joe Rogan, quote unquote, on LinkedIn. I put some stuff for sale uh, on Facebook market because I don't want to pack everything under the sun to Florida. And so, I, you know, I've had some soul searching time in these past few months, too, of what I, really makes me happy and what doesn't. It turns out I really don't care about stuff. And so, uh, you know, I have like a Pick your a picnic table out on my patio and some things like that, and oh, um, oh, a weight bench and some other crap in my basement. I've been cleaning out, and I have my I have a really nice mountain bike, and I thought, well, if I can sell it, I will. If not, I'll take it with because it's really nice and I like it. So I got a uh, message today from somebody who says, "Will you?" Uh, so I'm asking like a thousand bucks for this mountain bike. It's really nice. The guy goes, "Will you take it? Will you take twelve hundred in crypto for it?" <laughs> I said. No. <laughs> well, why not? I'm like, crypto is such a pain in the ass. Why, if it's so easy, why would you offer me $200 over the asking price just so you can run through your crypto crap? Have you ever owned crypto? I'm like, enough. Goodbye. <laughs> this is not about the bike, you schmuck. Yeah. So it was just another crypto bot or something on the Facebook market. And if it is a real person, it's still pretty funny that uh, you're willing to give an extra 200 just for that. Of course, by the time I got around to exchanging it all and going through all the crap, it'd probably be 400 bucks. So I said, no, it, it, it'll do. So 
Yeah, I've been going through all that and, and cleaning out. I found papers. I had papers I found from high school that I had kept for some reason. I found a book I stole from the library about cars. Uh, I found the most random things that I had been packing around for ages, and I don't know why. So uh, that part's been hilarious to go back and dig through some of the stuff that I've been paring around since God knows when. But uh, yeah, receipts from stuff in high school and uh, random letters from school. And like I said, stolen library book that I probably won't give back. Uh, but, uh, For all your papers, A's, it'd be kind of funny to like keep like C or B papers. So the ones that I had were it's not even a good paper. Yeah, you're like that. That was a learning moment. Uh, now Richard looks like he was stoned <laughs> off his gourd for a second. He's back. Um, yeah, and it was like um, a lot of. Uh, it's fun to see the colleges I had sent off for information uh, in like sophomore or junior year of high school. Um, places I thought about going. You know, there were some welding schools. There was University of Fair or Alaska. There are even some stuff from Blue Mountain. So I had like a Blue Mountain uh, uh, course catalog and then a bunch of uh, paperwork from the Navy for my, uh, my stuff I went through for that. So it was weird to see the progression of what you're thinking and what you did and all the old actual typed papers um, and things of that nature. So it was, that part was pretty cool. I threw most of it away because I'd had it in a box for that long and never looked at it. So um, yeah, I'm a big fan of the <laughs> ginormous construction grade trash bags at the moment so <laughs> so yeah i've been doing a lot of that uh, so you're moving to, sooner than later when are you moving? i would say within a month or so yeah um i don't have an official date i've given them like oh, i'll be there june 30th but um i know the market's pretty decent in lincoln right now there was a house about two blocks down that's not quite as good as mine, I would say, or feature, feature. Uh, it was on the market for like two weeks. So I probably jinxed myself and mine will never sell. But uh, <laughs> yeah, I drove by today and it's already sold. So <laughs> we'll see uh, if that continues. But yeah, I, there's no need to, I mean, I get to work remote until I get there, but uh, you know, no need not to be there. So, I'll, uh, but I have some flexibility, which is nice. Most other jobs I've ever had is Okay, well, we'll see you on uh, this date. Of course, my last couple have been remote, so that's been different. But You think you're just going to get like an Airbnb for a month or something? When yeah, you get there, you I might. Out where you live? Yeah, I got uh, my buddy I mentioned. He's got a nice little bunkhouse. He says I can hunker down in for, for a little bit. So that'll be my, my first probably crash pad uh, nice. for that. And, and so I'm thinking I'm just going to find a nice cargo trailer and get that and load my stuff up. Whatever fits in it's coming with and whatever doesn't. Will be dealt with accordingly. So, yeah, we'll give it a shot. I have to share my uh, my journey to minimalism with you. Yes, I I do remember the one time you moved in. It was a Milwaukee's best box beer box with some stuff in it and a saddle, if I'm not mistaken. So yeah, I was back in the simple <laughs> days. So after after working at the oil field for ten years, that I was living in Midland, and I had. I had this house, it was all furnished and everything, and I moved to a smaller house because like, why am I paying for this huge house? So uh, anyways, I really sorted through everything I had, and I ended up owning a bed, a chair, two TVs, and some like, like basic cooking supplies, and the dough. And that was it. And I was like, this is great. I don't have that much stuff to worry about, but 
Uh, so for a glorious five months of my life, I lived like a minimalist dream. And then I got married. <laughs> I was waiting for that part. Now I have so much damn stuff. I've never owned this much stuff in my entire life. And stuff like, I don't even know why I own it, but I have it now. Because you and never the know. Things that I, the things that I need now that I didn't know that I needed <laughs> beforehand is, I'm, I'm surprised I was able to navigate through life without all this stuff. How did you make it? By the grace of God on the sharp stick, for sure. That's the only way you're here. What's I think the Marie that's a, Kondo I think question? A, I think that's the question that's been perplexing many people is how, how have I made it? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yes. We've all asked ourselves that. Cheese and rice, how's Richard still here? Joel, what was your statement? You guys need to watch that Marie Kondo. You guys need to watch that Marie Kondo. Is that her name? Marie Kondo on Netflix? You're telling us who to watch. I don't know who it is. <clears throat> She's that Asian lady that tells you, asks you the question, does this item bring you joy? joy? Oh, I've heard. Yeah, okay, I've heard of it. I don't know who the hell. I remember that part. Does this thing bring you joy? Uh, yeah. Yeah. And that was so my, my rationale. Like, this shit's been in a box since I've been. Some of it's been there since I've been 17. So, uh, at one time, maybe it did. It brought me joy yeah, to look great. at it one more time. I kind of laughed and giggled. Then I was like, yoink. So, yeah, it'll bring you joy again in 15 more years, maybe. And uh, whoever digs to the trash and finds it probably will bring them joy uh, now because uh, it's already in the bag and bye bye on the Tuesday trash run. And there's a whole other big bag in the Friday trash can. So, yeah, I'm sure I'm going to get a big uh, dumpster for when I get real serious in the next couple of weeks. Um, when it gets ninja distro time. So, yeah, that's one of, one of my moments of self discovery these past few months uh, and figuring out that stuff kind of just irritates me now. Well, I like things, but uh, yeah. I like things. <laughs> I mean, there's things that I hold dear, you know, but uh, I have a lot of crap too. So it's just too much stuff. Now, I'll probably have more shit in another five years, anyways, but things that have been in a box. Since I packed up and left Pendleton, which has been quite a while now, <laughs> they were still on a shelf in my storage area in the same box that I packed it up and left Pendleton with. So, yeah, at one time they're near and dear. They don't serve a purpose anymore. So, I do the same thing. I've been carrying around a shoebox full of high school artifacts for, uh -huh. I don't know, 20 years, I guess. Yeah. Now, I still have one of those. You know, obviously there's one of those still because some things you're never going to get rid of. Um, yeah, because of those things. Something given to somebody else, or they're going to find him and be like, "What the hell?" That explains a lot about this guy. So we'll see. But hold on to that old pair of panties that you got in college. You know, <laughs> <laughs> they've been my mask. Been Don't even remember time. where they came from. You have them though. I did find random earrings. Oh, never mind. I won't even go into that. But uh, yeah, so. <laughs> Speaking of packing things around for a long time and sleeping bags, uh, this week's movie <laughs> brought to you by Mr. Joel was, in fact, Red Dawn. Joel, great movie. Why, why did this pop into your head? I'm curious. Uh, I don't know. I guess it seemed like the most uh, manly of Patrick Swayze movies. I'm a big Patrick Swayze fan, but I oh, guess Roadhouse, Roadhouse is right up there. Roadhouse. Roadhouse. Yeah, that's a good point. 
second most manly Patrick Swayze. Oh, well, they're they're back and forth. There's uh, killing in both. Uh, yeah, I, I guess on the testosterone scale, that would be hard to to figure out. Um, yeah, Red Dot. I, I, I didn't get. I watched it in pieces. I was trying to watch it at night, and I kept falling asleep. And then I think I got about halfway through, and the, I finally found time to sit down and watch it right before this. But I only had an hour, so I skipped ahead. So I missed a chunk in the middle. Um, I gather the movie is about 1984. The time is Ronald Reagan is president. It's in the middle of the potential Cold War or the Cold War, I guess, right? Yeah, 84. Um, That's when it came out, yeah. And it's a fantasy movie meant to alarm Americans to the potential risk of being invaded by the Soviet Union. In Cuba, communism, right? Basically, it was. So it was really that. It was. It was really scary. Like ah. that was in '84. That seemed plausible. That's some documentary shit in '84, man. Yeah. Yeah, yeah I think what, what I, well, I was trying yeah. to gather what the what the enemy was doing. I guess Cuba invaded from the south. Well, if you up, remember at the very up to Cheyenne. the very very beginning like the opening credits, they're kind of laying stuff out that's going on throughout the world about the hunger strike here and this and that there. There's a lot of parallels um to some stuff we've lived through already. Some of it's not happened at all, but like they're they're kind of laying out all these world events that are going on and then that leads up to um the beginning of the movie basically. Yeah, so Twitter. Cuba invaded through the south. They came up to Cheyenne, they said, and over to mm-hmm. Kansas. And uh, America was making progress, and then the goddamn Russians attacked Alaska and came down through Canada. It's a joint strike, yeah. Yeah. Um, ultimately, I think America must have won, but they didn't show it. Yeah, I think so, you know, because one of the opening scenes is they're in high school, blah, 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 paratroopers come down, teacher's like, hey, you guys are way, you know, and the classic AK sound, the guy gets dusted in the parking lot, and then, you know, like, next thing, you know, they're just strafing the high school, kids hanging out the window, shit going everywhere, I was like, I forgot this was kind of like that in your face right off the bat, um, it was, yeah. it was, uh, it was hammered down, you know, they're trying to get out of the parking lot, and they're blasting the, blast of the Pontiac, and, and luckily, of course, Swayze boils through on the step side, and loading up the football team and his brothers and and then their RPG sound. That RPG sound still gives me goosebumps to this day uh, when I hear it because you hear that all throughout the movie. That's like uh, the sound of the RPG squealing is is uh, some flashbacks. But yeah, they blow up school buses and get out of town, stop at the sporting goods store. And everybody had that dream, I think, of going to the sporting goods store and taking a sleeping bag and just loading shit up into it. Shotguns, shells, pork and beans, <laughs> you know. Um, I thought it was weird too that they decided to leave town and not everybody else did. Just like this select group of like, I don't know, what, five or six kids. You guys get the hell out of town. But nobody else did. They just like, they stayed there. <laughs> that struck me as odd now seeing it. Uh, as yeah, a- communism's a disease that can affect uh, a lot of people, right? They were already infected that quickly. Turns out, yeah. It'd be interesting to know how many people would stay. You know, I mean, look at all these people that are still wearing masks. Yeah, that's good. And that's, well, that's why. It's probably the same people, yeah. It probably is. And that's why it's like, Jesus, Joel, what a timely, timely movie to pick. Um, because of a lot of that similarity, Joel's just like, 
I'm leaving and going to the bathroom, or maybe he's out of a drink. So uh, I'm out of a drink, but I got oh, okay. We can still hear you. So that's yeah. Uh, yeah. So what are you making tonight? <laughs> this is a great question, what am I? Richard. Yeah, what are you what are you mixing up? It looks like you go to the bathroom when you go to make that drink, but I guess you leave in a bedroom and go on to the main area. Yeah, I'm just sticking to beer. I was having an Elysian IPA, and now I'm having a Pyramid Apricot Ale. You can take the boy out of New York, but you can't. Oh, never mind. <laughs> apricot or apricot? I don't know. I, I think it's apricot, but that's probably your regional dialect, like almond or almond. So nobody says almond. That, makes, that reminds me, I have a uh, California say almond. I have a vintage uh, Colorado beer down in the refrigerator. I need to uh, go get off and partake in. Which is where Red Dawn was supposedly set at. Was Colorado? So. Or Colorado. Well, Coors is an appropriate drink for this. Thing. Yeah, a little banquet beer. Yeah. <laughs> Vintage beer. How old is it? Who? I was churching it up. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it was a really interesting movie because I obviously watched it a long time ago. Like I said, when it first came out, I watched it. Well, not when it first came out, but like a couple years later, it was on, you know, I don't know if it was Cinemax or HBO or whatever, about every 13 minutes. Um, and of course, we watched the crap out of it because it was pretty, pretty cool. Sad in the end, but pretty cool overall because you're not going to take that crap. Um, Still, like any '80s movie, they got to throw in a weird little curveball there with the 45-year-old lieutenant colonel with a little brief love affair with the high school girl. Well, what was she that was about? she was sweet on him. I don't think he was reciprocating. I'll put it that way. But it's still weird. Yeah, that was Curly Sir? Bill from Tombstone too. That's pretty funny. Powers Booth, I believe, is his name. My favorite part was probably the part where they uh, they had to shoot their own guy. <laughs> that was your favorite part? Yeah, that was the best part of the movie. Why is that? I don't know. Just because he's a commie bastard. Yeah, he was always the Weasley some bitch, you know, that that snuck into Got town. Scared his, easily. His dad was the dirtbag mayor who needs his ass kicks. I, I didn't realize when I first when I was watching the movie when I was younger. But, you know, they're trying to find out who these quote-unquote Wolverine kids are. Um, so they're talking to the mayor because they think his son's, you know, he's like, oh, no, my boy, he, he's, he's, he's not that kind of leader. You know, he's, he's just a politician. And, well, who else is, you know, well, some of the families, you know, and, you know. And next thing you know, they got a lot of their family lined up in front of a trench. And they're standing there and they're watching and the mayor's down there. And they shoot all these people and they fall in the trench. Like, the mayor gave up those families. To save yeah. his ass. And I didn't realize that really when I was younger, of what was really going on there. Um, and it, that's really when they kind of had the turning point and they, they kind of called out full out war against the uh, invaders. But uh, you know, that really uh, angered me a lot towards that piece of crap mayor, mostly. The mayor is the dad and uh, son-in-law. Yes. Yeah. Another, another fine film. Yeah. Oh, dude. A Polly yeah. Shore joint. A really good one. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that was thing I wanted to know about is um, had I not watched that Netflix uh, where they go into the movies, they do Ghostbusters Dirty Dancing. Oh, yeah. Yeah. That Patrick Swayze and what's-her-name hated each other. Oh. Um, they did. Aaron Jennifer Gray. Gray. Jennifer Gray, not Jennifer Aaron Gray. Gray. Yeah. yeah. That's hilarious. 
two huge movies that like and she couldn't stand him. I don't think he cared one way or the other about her. See, I didn't watch well, that Dirty Dancing edition of that, so I missed that uh, insight. But I watched the other ones. I did. I think they cast they cast um, Patrick Swayze for Dirty Dancing first, and then they wanted to bring it. They brought in some people, and Jennifer Grey was a, they had really good chemistry, and she was a good dancer, and they wanted mm. her, but he hated her. Uh, and I, that's I, what I remember I, from that. I have to correct you on uh, Patrick Swayze's most manly movie. Oh yeah, go ahead. Two on food. Thanks for everything, Julie Moore. <laughs> I guess you have to be pretty masculine to have that much confidence to. I've not seen that. I just remember. Aren't they dressed in drag? Is that right? Yeah, the whole yeah, movie. The whole movie. Uh, I watched that one either. I guess I've been missing out. So, yeah, you know, I think. Uh, Jennifer Gray's best work, I think, was in uh, Ferris Bueller's Day Off. That's just me, though. So, now what was the other one? Um, uh, Thompson, Leah, Leah, Leah Thompson. Yeah, Leah Thompson. I liked her in this. She was good in Red Dawn. Wasn't Leah, Jennifer Gray and Uncle Buck? Is that Jennifer Gray? No. No, that's a different chick. No. No. Leah Thompson was in Back to the Future. She was oh yeah. She was the mom. But uh, I can't remember the chick's name as an Uncle Buck, but that was a different gal. Um, really? Yeah. Look at your IMDb. Pretty sure. Yeah. Uh, I'm kind of an Uncle Buck aficionado. Yeah. That guy was like younger. Uh, I haven't seen her in much else. She had a lot more angry, too. Yeah. I see Uncle Buck was in like 89. And, and so, uh, yeah. Who was that? I know we're not supposed to bring up the modern. Tia Russell was. Oh. Her name was Jean Louisa Kelly. Uh, from worst to mass. Anyways, yes, Redbird. The the Australian version of Red Dawn with Thor. But I did like the EM, EMC device that they set up and killed all the power in the second one. I thought that was a good stand-in for nuclear war. You talking about the twenty twelve version? Yes. The EMP yeah. device? EMP, that's what I said. Electromagnetic pulse? Yeah. Yes. I've not seen right. the second one. I sort of refuse to uh, imbibe upon it because of my my memory and uh, respect of the original. But was it worthwhile? Um, it's not I'd a pretty movie snobbish. It's pretty much a uh, – I like the premise of it. The acting and everything sort of flat. But I thought for the plot, the remake of Red Dawn, they did that – justice by updating it with some like modern mm -hmm. something that were plausibly that was plausible that would happen in modern times and they picked the right bad guy because it was China well China China I like, a, I like how Trump says China he says China like, China yeah you get a lot of him that's funny too because one of our roommates for a brief time in college his nickname was China so I always laugh when I hear that because I think about China <laughs> yeah, I don't know Chinese or no, his name's Chris, and uh, we had this really crazy hippie stats teacher, and she was she was really into all of us working in groups and stuff, and she was reading out his name the first first or second day, and she gets to him, and uh, Chris has like this really loud, deep voice. It's hilarious, and she's like going through all the names. She's like, um, I'm China, and he goes, It's Chris. She's like, oh, sorry, you know, and so from that, <laughs> he's branded as China, 
And so I think he's even still on my phone, C-H-Y-N-A, China. <laughs> um, last I knew he was like flying helicopters in the, in the army, you know, he's probably retired by now, but yeah. So China is a uh, six foot four cowboy guy that flies helicopters. <laughs> hey, I'll tell you what out here in Pendleton, Micah, Richard, um, I do not stay very connected to the news. What's going on with COVID these days? Um, well, we just passed, according to the news, uh, landmark of uh, over 100,000 that have fallen uh, victim to COVID, uh, according to that. Um, so that's the latest I've got. I think a lot of states are going, um, let's see, you know what's going on in in uh, Minnesota? No, what's Michigan? No, shit. Minnesota's going oh, crazy. Minnesota with the, that, that fucking cop. I watched that yeah. video. That's awful. What a fucking murder. Yeah, that's I think he, he it looked like he did that shit on purpose. Everything I've seen is, is not not good on that. Uh I don't like people burning shit down and looting. Yeah, target, that's terrible. That's ridiculous. How, how um how embarrassing is that? But Jesus I mean, Christ. Yeah. Whatever I saw that video, I that's awful. That's inexcusable. That, that's I can't believe somebody just didn't tackle that some bitch. You know, I might go to jail yeah. for for assaulting an officer, but I'm like you saw the film and it's like six or eight minutes long. Like at one point, like, no, like seriously, that's ridiculous. So yeah, that's, there seemed to be a, there seemed to be a point in the video where the guy like stopped moving, looked like he was about dead. And then the, the cop ever so slightly looks like he like shifts even more weight. It's really weird. On, yeah. on the neck. Awful. I mean, like it's, it just kind of makes me sick when I've seen it. Um, and unfortunately, really, it's really unfortunate that all the other crap's going on. And sort of, in my mind, taking the focus off really what's at hand is the interaction between those cops and that guy. That's really what needs to maintain the focus, not the burning car. Even this afternoon, 7 o'clock tonight, I was watching an update, and there's a burning car in, like, the Target parking lot. And, you know, people are just throwing shit on the fire. The cops aren't doing anything. They said it's too dangerous to respond, which... Yeah, I they took that. over a police station. Yeah. Yeah, I, I just don't buy the too dangerous to respond. Um, you don't have to be right in somebody's kitchen to hit them with some tear gas or something. Or I mean, seriously, it's, it's like March protest all you want. I'd probably be there right next to you, but I'm not going to burn any shit down or throw it. You know, it's like you take away from the message in my mind when you start going down the other road. That's just yeah. that's how I look at it. Okay, granted, I have not seen any of this because I've oh. just checked out. So yeah. I apologize to society for not being informed. But don't you think this is a marginal reaction of everything? I mean, you can only stress yes. animals out for so long. And you have to reasonably expect that this kind of uh, reaction is going to happen. I, definitely, Richard. That is a phenomenal point. I, I was trying to find an article before we came on the air. About, Can you make the point again? He kind of cut out. I didn't catch it. Just saying, like, we've all been – this is really a result of all of us being locked down and, and stressed and chaotic. I mean, that, that adds to the fire and the fuel, I think, for sure, is, is that. It's not the only thing, but it certainly is something I think everybody can relate to a bit more. And, and the stat I was trying to dig up before – it's just how much suicides and, and domestic abuse is up in the past two months. 
Like it, it, it is insane. Like more suicides, and I can't have the exact quote of where it came from, but I know what I read the other day, more suicides year to date than we usually have the whole entire year. Already. And those are the, and those are the people that were getting censored on Facebook, Twitter, and YouTube. People are yeah. saying those reactions are what are going to happen when you do this. This cause, this is a cause and effect thing. It's like a uh, psychology. It's there's like a psychology to it. Mm -hmm. This is going to be the outcome. And they had no platform, and that sort of goes into the other news of the day. Yeah, has, they had no platform, and they were actively censored from sharing that piece of their their side of the story. And it doesn't matter if they're liberal or or conservative. But they were actively stopped from being part of the public debate on any form that matters. Yeah, it's yeah. completely unacceptable. Well, I heard Trump, I didn't I haven't had time to look, but wasn't Trump going to make some announcement today about something to do with Twitter and censorship? Yes. Did he ever do that? Uh, yeah, it's executive order. Uh, and I actually had that as our intellectual moment of the week. Um, because there's there was um, some legislation in the early 90s, I think it's called like Section 230 or something, that basically says these online people are just hosting platforms. Um, and therefore, they can't be held accountable or liable for what people say on it. I think that's the gist of the language. That you know they're not they're not uh, producing any of it. They're not the media part of that, and that's why they're different than like the news. They're just a host for you to come on there and spout whatever bullshit you want. Well, we we all know for sure that's not what all these sites are. You get censored all the time. People's YouTube page or Facebook page or Instagram gets taken down all the time for things they find inappropriate. Uh, even yeah. this past week on Memorial Day, people would put up a post that showed like four pictures. It was like a lady over a coffin and a soldier and like two, and nothing was what I considered in my mind remotely inappropriate. And there was the little blur thing over it saying this, this is extreme and uh, you have to click on here to view this, this picture that might be inappropriate. And it was literally- Pictures of coffins? Yeah, for Memorial Day. Um, it was a lady kneeling over a coffin and like praying with the flag on it. Um, and I saw that like four or five times on Facebook where that picture was deemed inappropriate and you had to click on it if you wanted to really see it. Um, and I know friends of mine who have pages that have been taken down for things that they said about Second Amendment or about suicide or all these things. And so they, they have been. And what, what got Trump more interested in it is they quote unquote fact checked a couple of his tweets and said, this is the true story. So they were in fact controlling what was on the platform and, and well, that's really, that's really simplifying the issue. I think the issue is that <clears throat> the censorship only goes one direction and that is censoring more of a Republican mm -hmm. or right wing. Certainly. Even, even though it's, it's not any more outlandish. I'm not going to say it's, accurate and true but it's not any less true than some of the bullshit that the left peddles a lot yeah uh, uh, you know where was the for the the past three years like uh, adam schiff's been saying he has proof about the collusion if you want to take an example um and nothing's ever come up or ever been said and i think it's been proven in several forms that nothing was ever there yet none of his tweets were ever were fact checked or anything like that and i, I think you hit it on the head joel it's, it definitely is skewed one direction um, yeah. I think it should be, it's our job as humans to sift through the crap. Like if you want to believe everything that's online, that's your own damn fault. Uh, you know, yeah. really, um, I think so. Uh, I think it should be 
it should be both sides um, and whatever you want to put on there. If you don't want to watch it, then don't freaking watch it. it. You know, that's my mind. I think that's, that's too simple. I think and that's how it originally you, started. You should do like what they used to do in the eighties and nineties and surround yourself with good friends that will ridicule you when you do dumb shit and believe dumb shit. Absolutely. Yes. Like, Hey, Joe Rogan friended me on LinkedIn. You're a dumbass. That didn't happen. <laughs> you know, like, seriously. That, so you that, know, that's like, that's a great segue into the Joe Rogan's official announcement. Well, he did a little teaser announcement that he was going to Spotify, but did you see the full-throated one with uh, Dave Packman? No, I did not. Yeah. He talked for 30 minutes about why he wasn't mad at YouTube for censoring, but why he was mad at YouTube for censoring. <laughs> <laughs> he wasn't leaving YouTube for censoring to go to Spotify. It was just a better deal, but he was really leaving YouTube to Spotify because they were annoying the hell out of him. And this poor liberal guy, I don't think he's ever going to be back on the podcast again because Joe was done with any monitoring of a free speech whatsoever. Mm -hmm. It was probably the most brilliant 30 minutes of the Joe Rogan show I've ever seen. Uh, I got to check it out. And I, I can't remember who it was. Something the other day was talking about, oh, it was the barber in Michigan who'd been shut down and, and told him to go pound sand. Uh, I'm going to cut hair anyways. And he goes, what happened to the Democratic Party of the 60s? It was all about protecting free speech and letting people yeah. do and say what they wanted and felt like. And now they're the ones clamping down on everybody and saying, you can't talk about this. You can't go do that. Uh, Virginia, you have to have a fucking mask on to go outside just to go outside. That's what the governor has declared. You have to have a mask on to go outside. I think at the same Angeles time, they're the saying that way. there's at the same time that I understand, like, if, if a company wants to make you wear a mask to go in their store sure, into an enclosed space, but, but I'm seeing so many complaints from, like, I still look at the NYC Reddit, subreddit, mm -hmm. and <clears throat> every day there's people complaining, like, oh, I was out for a walk, and I must have seen 30 people that didn't have a mask on. Well, the CDC is, has said, I don't know if it's the CDC, but some experts have said, I, I don't remember where I read it, but, um, like, it, it's... Um, like there's very there's no super spreader events recorded that took place outdoors people aren't spreading this shit outside and to make people wear a mask to go outside like that is well, and they're just giving away their freedoms they're just giving them away and when is that gonna end when are they gonna say okay you can take your mask off now they won't say that no once they get the freedom because right. yeah flu season's coming up again you better put your mask on Come on. It's so ridiculous. Yeah, uh, I was just talking about it earlier today. It's if you look at Doc Fauci just a while ago, take those ridiculous masks off, is what he says. And two weeks later, we should all wear masks. And then, like last week, we got to get everybody out of lockdown. People are going to go ape shit and kill each other. Basically, is what he said. Uh, oh my god! You know, did, did, did you see the MSNBC clip of the guy reporting the news on the uh, along the oh, beach? Oh yeah, I think I sent it oh, to yeah. you guys. Didn't I send it to Talking. you guys? I, I don't know. I didn't see Yeah, it, he's wearing his mask and he's like, oh, these people are no, you know, just basically calling everybody assholes for not wearing a mask. And then he he actually zips around to this dude walking out of his car. He's like, yeah, look at this guy right here. And it's some dude wearing a Packers yeah. jersey. He's like, yeah, and your freaking cameraman's not even wearing a mask. Half your crew's <laughs> not wearing a mask. And the guy's like, didn't that guy remind you from Dauber from Coach? Totally, dude. Yeah, it was hilarious. <laughs> and then you can see the reporters just like, well, shit, I guess this is over. He just kind of <laughs> shirks down and the lady in the studio is like, 
quite the scene out there, Jim. You know, and I was like, <laughs> it's so clearly an agenda, which is incredible. You know, you just get caught time after time with their stupid agenda. And you mentioned Michigan with Gretchen Whitmer as the governor of Michigan. And, oh, that's her name. And, yeah. and her her whole thing about banning people from going to their second homes in the woods. And oh, then and guess where her she fucking was at? husband, her fucking husband went up there to rake leaves in May. And oh, he was raking leaves and he was only up there for maybe a night or two. Like, what? Is that a 48 hour job? He was trying to get his boat put in the water. You know, of course, they, you know, he yeah. says, well, it doesn't help if I'm the governor's husband. Of course, they say now that was an ill timed joke. Uh, and then I saw pictures of her over Memorial Weekend at a picnic table surrounded by people and no mask on. Um, same thing with the governor of Virginia who was walking down the beaches taking selfies with people with no mask on even though his current executive order is if you're outside you need to have a mask on. Uh, same thing in LA. I don't know why people aren't just saying go cram it up your ass because it's ridiculous. Say again? Christy known for president 2024. Is that the um, press secretary? South Dakota. Oh, oh yeah, South yeah. Dakota governor. Yeah, yeah, she's yeah. badass. I'm not as good. Well, the press secretary, Kaylee. Yes. Oh my yeah. lord, that is the best YouTube watching currently that on is, the planet. That is. Here is a I, decorative basket with your ass in it, as I'm handing it to you yeah. every day. Um, <laughs> yeah, she's highly entertaining. I just fast forward to the last like ten minutes where she just dines on reporters. It's like uh, the notes that she has. I'd love to see her notes because I, she she must have a a note for pretty much any feasible comment because she just looks down like whoosh, ninja and then she goes on to the next one. I'm like, wow, that's impressive. Well, you know who her first big boss was? This isn't her first time working for an asshole. I don't know. Don Minimus. Oh no, kidding. Yep. Oh wow! Yeah, I don't did know you much ever, about did her. You ever, did, did you ever watch "I Miss in the Morning" when it was on Fox Business? Uh, every once in a while, not very religiously, but yeah. Yeah, she was the little blonde girl that did all the computer stuff. Oh, be damned! Well trained, yes, well trained. But uh, yeah, it's uh, it's mind blowing. Uh, if you if you look at the timeline of everything that's happened and where we are today and what's going on, I don't freaking believe any of it it blows my mind it does not seem real at all yeah the other thing that's not getting enough attention and i hear about it because i um, i follow the news that would report such a thing but you don't hear about it on like cnn is uh cuomo you get so much credit for doing a good job in new york and people are <laughs> in love with him now but what the fuck were they doing sending covid positive patients to live in nursing homes do you see the video oh, of yeah. that dude beating the shit out of that Really yeah. old guy? Yeah, like a 20-year-old guy. They had whole hospitals empty. They had that freaking ship set up. They had they had stand pop-up hospitals everywhere for people for overflow. And yet they're going there. And of course he just blames it on the administration. Um, and then And that happened in several blue states, didn't yes. it? It happened in New York and New Jersey. Mm -hmm. I don't know where else, but yeah. Um well, I wonder why you don't hear about it on CN CNN. It's because his brother It's almost like they there. did it on purpose. Yeah. Oh my God. That, That's that almost little ridiculous. banter ridiculous. between the two of them. Yeah. It, it makes my stomach turn. Um, and that, 
that leads to the overall thing, like of why I get so mad about censorship online or anywhere else. Because like you can't believe a freaking thing you hear on the quote unquote news at all. I mean, have you ever listened to a montage? That's why when we first started talking, I talked about the, the I think it's landmark. Whatever the, the we, you know, we hit the 100,000 people, they say, that died of corona. I heard a clip of like every freaking news show on TV or the radio. They said the same exact phrase every single time about that quote or about that fact. Another uh, a tremendous landmark of 100,000. And they said that exact wording on every freaking news channel. They played it all back to back. It, was, it wasn't, it was like landmark, it was a specific word and I was just so angry, I forgot even what it was, but what's the odds that every single reporter on the news and TV is going to say that same exact phrase? Doesn't that strike you as odd? Yeah. I mean, Richard was like, Jesus, calm down. Yeah, milestone. Was it milestone? Probably. I, I couldn't yeah. remember. It was something that was like, it's not a common term, really, especially these days but every single person said it. And it was like at least oh. 20, 25 people, minimum. Yeah. Now, you're getting in, now you're getting into the persuasion argument or persuasion. So this is all Scott Adams uh, gig, but he wrote a couple books on this and uh, Robert Cialdini. Uh, this is, there's a very much orchestrated show, choosing behind the words. Um, of how things are worded to be the most persuasive, and uh, there is a there's big money thrown at people that know have this art nailed down to uh, just have it nailed down to an art form, and uh, especially in presidential election years. And uh, Trump is uh, according to Scott Adams just a natural at it, like he calls it weapon grade persuasion. Mm. Um, but the Democrat Party, Hillary, towards the end, when she was when it looked when it was start looking right after the feigning, her message changed because they hired another person that was an expert in uh, persuasion, mm -hmm. and they think it probably was Robert Cialdini himself. So, anyways, if you really want to go down a rabbit hole, um, read "Win Bigly" by Scott Adams and um, "Loser Think," and um, Persuasion and Influence by Robert Cialdini. And uh, those patterns of those words are definitely on purpose. They're well chosen. And uh, oh, yeah. Yeah, it's uh, no, they're, they're, they're orchestrated, they're tools, they're just everything about it is systematic. It's and, talking it, points. It, it happens. It. Yes. Yeah, both, both parties use it. And 100%. It's not any, yeah. Yeah, that's the whole thing about it used to be called global warming and then the Republicans rebranded it as climate change to sound less scary. It wasn't the Republicans. Right? It was no, it was the left again because like global warming wasn't happening. So now it's climate change. Right. Well Yeah. Okay. It's less <laughs> threatening to call it climate change. No, it's just more uh, overall spectrum and covers more of the shit. Like, oh, it's actually not really warming, so we're gonna go call it climate change because whichever way it goes, we're okay now. What do you mean it's not warming? It it's is not. warming. Overall, the world, the uh, yeah. we're not gonna go down this road today, but no. It's I, I, have a, I have a critically uh, important thing I want to discuss with you. <laughs> sure. <laughs> when are we gonna get over this Karen thing? 
I'm about done with Karen. I was going to mention that earlier. Yeah, I, I would agree. This Karen business. Yeah, it is I, so obnoxious. I would agree. All yes, the way around. It was funny at first, but I'm done I, with it. I did like a group of Karens is called a complaint. I think that's probably my yeah. favorite. <laughs> I, I heard a group of Karens is called a cunt. <laughs> the one I saw was a complaint, but that's also appropriate. Yeah. Um, oh, that's hilarious. Yeah, I so, would. Yeah. Uh, it, it's it's um. It's People thinking funny. they're funny when they use it. I think that's what bothers me the most about it, is they think they're being funny. It's just yeah. not funny. It's not. It's not. I would agree. Yeah. Um, okay. Come on up here. <laughs> Let's go ahead and shift gears. Joel, are you ready for your word of the week? I thought we were going to do something we learned first, because I oh. learned something this week. Oh, you did. Um, or am I going out of order? You're, you're, that later? Word of the, yeah, what we learned next after Word of the Week. Yeah. Okay, let's do word, word of the Week is, uh, is rubric. R-U-B-R-I-K. Rubric. I remember now yeah. on uh, Dirty Rotten Scoundrels, his name was Rubric, but that's not quite the same thing. Rubric sounds like some kind of um, measure of mass or distance with quantum physics and shit. It's about two rubrics. I don't know. That's 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 what it sounds like to me. Two rubrics it, met in the woods. No, it's the rebranding of it's the rebranding of syllabus. <laughs> no, really, when like if you go to school now, you don't get a syllabus anymore. You get a rubric. No, is that, that, oh, is that true? Yep. I think that might be true. I, well, as what I said earlier, I don't really understand the meaning of it. The way, the way I came across it was today. I did a, a Oregon State University College of Business thing, volunteer thing. Is I volunteered as a judge for students to judge their presentations. On uh, they were doing it like presenting to us, the judge, and oh. we were supposed to be like leadership of the company Jewel, and they were talking about how they can rebrand it and get it back in line right it's a case study for the business mm -hmm. students and <clears throat> i had to record their scores on the rubric and it's just a form i think it's an outline so it makes sense that it's also well, i'm looking syllabus. at uh on uh marionwebster.com and like the first one is authoritative rule especially a rule of, for conduct of liturgical service um title of a statute uh something under which a thing is classed, i.e., the cessations falling under the general rubric pressure. Uh, it's R U B R I C, is that correct? Yeah. Uh, um, An established rule, tradition, or custom. Uh, and that's on, um, let's look on Wikipedia. Rubric's also a cloud management company based in Palo Alto. Okay. Of course. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Way to bastardize a good word. Um, just another another case of colleges making up new words that we're all supposed to learn. Well, yeah, a title, heading, direction, or the like in a manuscript, book, statue, etc., written or printed in red, or otherwise distinguished from the rest of the text. A direction for the conduct of divine service or the administration of the sacraments. It's inserted in liturgical books. L i t u r g i c a l. Any established mode or conduct of procedure or protocol that's how i've heard it i think before uh or an explanatory moment so 
That makes sense. It's a very prescriptive document. Like you had there was yeah. it's a PDF and you had to fill in certain mm, fields. Okay. And I can see how it could be stretched into a syllabi as well. I still haven't had anybody successfully explain to me what was wrong with the syllabus. I mean, it's been good for <laughs> thousand years so you know it has been around a while uh yeah. yeah and even we knew what the plural was syllabi so uh, that was pretty uh yeah impressive and once you figure once once you figure out the plural you feel kind of smart you almost mastered at that point so it's like, easier to say than you know syllabus day in college was fun because that's first day class you just get your syllabus it doesn't have the same ring when it's like a rubric it's hard to say <laughs> I instantly think of when he played the special guy in Dirty Rotten Scandrals when Rupert was like, the, you know, Oklahoma, Oklahoma, and he's running around. And he's got the eye patch on because he you know, stabbed himself in the eye with his fork. That was Rupert. So that's. that's I feel like someday it's going to be a Vin Diesel movie. There's that too. Yes. <laughs> he was a man known as Rupert. Yeah. In a world. <laughs> in a world where masks are now mandatory, Rubric. It's got it. Yeah. yeah. It's pretty good. It can happen. <laughs> or if Riddick, has a, if Riddick has a son, it's only natural his name would be Rubric. Yes. Yes, because Rubric is the, the half of a Riddick. So. <laughs> if, you divide a, if you divide a Riddick by two, you get a Rubric. So. <laughs> it's new math. Don't worry about it. <laughs> It's new math. Oh, God. Yeah. Oh, that's hilarious. Yeah, that's a good word, Mr. Joel. Um, definitely uh, something I wasn't aware of. Yeah. Which is. So now, now, we switch to our uh, favorite segment of what we learned uh, either today or uh, in this most recent hour. So, yeah. So, I, since I was so anxious to bring this up, yeah, exactly. I'm waiting for you. I haven't, I haven't bothered to Google it yet, but this is another Joe Rogan nugget. Um, so he had an expert on, and I think you know sustainability, and they were talking about as far as like farming, like um, crops, crop type farming, is that we only have 60 cycles of topsoil remaining before we're just you know fucked can't grow anything anymore is there is that true you guys, have you guys ever heard about this i'll say it is and it isn't i mean it's a good talking point and the expert was joel salanton so yeah. and that uh podcast was awesome goes out first first time that he was on joe rogan's show it was sort of fun and novel. And this time, like, he had Rogan's full attention and he was listening and nodding and agreeing, which was, I think, a huge win for agriculture. Definitely. But, uh, um, damn crush on Joe Rogan. Oh, my wife is critiquing Joe Rogan. I thought she said you have so, a man crush on Joe Rogan. On Joe Rogan. Yeah, I do. I think we all do. I do. Absolutely. Yeah, I do. Everybody does. Yeah, all men do. But I'll never cheat on Jocko. Um, I think I think Jock would appreciate that. Yeah. <laughs> I'd like to see him do a grudge match though. That would be awesome. Whew. That'd be Western for sure. Yeah. I'd pay for that. Um, let's go back to this. 
Oh, yeah, I think it's a good talking point. So um, I honestly do believe that we are quickly depleting our soil to the point where there's going to become a point where we can no longer put synthetic inputs into it and get the returns that we need to grow nutritional food and um, do this great myth of feeding a growing population, which in all accountability, except for India and, uh, India and China is shrinking incredibly fast. Um, I think we should be feeding our regions. But yeah, I think that it's probably not 40 or 60 cycles, but I would say it's definitely serious and we really need to start reimagining how we're going to rebuild our soil and get life back into it because a lot of soil life has been sort of quenched out of it. So um, I think that's going to be incredibly important. And I think I, I'm not buying so much into the thing, but I think that the reality is the nutritional values in our foods have fallen considerably sometimes 60% in the last 40 years. And that is a huge uh, question that we have to address in providing not food for everybody, but the best possible food that we can for people that we have now. So you're that's saying that my soapbox. nutritional value has dropped 40 to 60% in the foods we're raising. Is that what you said? Yes. Is that, do you think that's due to the soil being reduced of what it has or the fact that we're more emphasis on, on volume? of our food than necessarily nutritional value. I'm just thinking about when you're, if you're, if you're growing a new variety or you're trying to make something better, you always try to get it as good as you can. But I think a lot of times volume is, is what's focused on. Uh, so do you think it's higher ladder or, or a bit of both? Probably a little bit of both. I mean, we, I think that what I'm learning and especially in this last week, I've had some fascinating conversations. Um, Look, the literacy rate about agriculture is basically zero in this country. Yes. So um, it goes back to that persuasion conversation that we had to that 40 cycles is a very persuasive way to start waking people up about food. It's a little bit disingenuous, but um, we are sort of in a unique position as first world country to start addressing the issues with our food chain. And some of it has to do with nutritional value. And I think, um, yeah, and I think that it would be also disingenuous to say that um, we are taking 100% um, honest, uh, honestly taking care of some of the soils in our, in our country. Yeah, I, I think just, we're doing a better job than we had in the and like obviously you think about oh, yeah. dust bowl dillies and things of that nature. I think we have a long ways to go. I think it's something we need to keep at the forefront for sure. I think that's kind of what you're saying too. Is like it's a great topic that we that 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 forty cycle sticks in your mind or sixty whatever it is. And we need to make sure we're focused on doing what we can uh, to hold our soil as much as we can because it you know um, it takes a long time to get it back. Uh, longer than we're probably going to be around now. Some of it blows up. I'd love to see the map again. I've seen it when I was in college where the map, you know, where wind erosion comes along and then where that dirt goes. Uh, I say dirt, sorry, Dr. Kemnick, uh, soil. 
where that soil goes uh, and, and how that cycle goes too, because it's kind of like rain in some parts. It, it does float around and come back down in other parts of the world. It doesn't do any good here, but. Yeah, is this, a, is this an issue of uh, not leaving your field fallow? If, like if you leave it fallow for a year, does it regain a lot of the nutrients? Is it, is it because people plant and harvest the same field year after year? Like if you leave it fallow for a year, does it rejuvenate? The one year probably is not going to be bad. Um, 13 years with no root structure in, uh, in between crops and no cover and synthetic stuff to keep it going. It's probably extremely bad. I mean, a lot of people grow monocultures over and over and over and over, and never has that been all right. Always you have to do uh, rotational crops. Yeah, a lot you're, of you're going to get disease and, and just a reduction in the organic matter and the certain nutrients. Like if you grow wheat in the same field year after year after year, like just your inputs to get it back to where it used to be is ridiculous. Um, yeah. I know Oregon State's working on that because I used to work on that as a station. They would they would experiment with different ways of whether it's burning or uh, no-till farming mm -hmm. is what it was. I don't I don't remember the details. It's, it's kind of twofold. We're talking, you know, if you got there's crop rotation, like I'm going to put in peas or a legume or something after I have a wheat to give some nitrogen back and fix some nitrogen on the soil, and then there's also cover crops and, and, and you know really the important thing is organic matter like broken down roots and stubble and all that stuff that goes back into helping keep the soil healthy and microbes and building again versus just leaving it open and fallow and nothing done into it and just planting the same crop every single year and not putting everything back uh, that you're taking out and, and like Richard said eventually you can't take it all you can't put it all back just because of how the soil is uh, and its current capacity sometimes it won't hold when you try to put back on it Okay. And, uh, one of the interesting arguments I think about the, uh, that I've been struggling with is uh, we have context. You have Joel Salvin, Will Harris that are on the East Coast. They get 70 inches of rain a year. So they have the, they have the ability to um, grow multiple crops, grow multiple species on their land. And ultimately, they can build these incredibly healthy soil organisms and they have a lot more options. Now you're in Pendleton, what do you guys get for rain a year? 11 inches, 16 maybe? Yeah, it's probably the 12 to 15 inch zone, I'm gonna guess. Um, yeah. Yeah. So that drastically limits the amount of stuff you're gonna be able to do. So you're probably and gonna- Growing degrees day twos as well. <laughs> Let me say that again. Growing degree days, i.e. you don't have the heat that you need for a long enough time sometimes to grow everything also. Yeah, yeah. So you might be able to get your wheat crop off or and get a cover crop. And you don't probably have the water to raise your alfalfas and your triticale or your pasture grasses. So there's things that can happen. But, I mean, part of it is a lot of um, uh, farmers just don't want to do the fences to keep animal livestock in on, like, stubble and stuff and keep that, that root structure in the ground and that kind of stuff. Instead, So they just pile it up and they park everything and wait till it's time to plant. So... Um, we're in this, this. I just think that we're right now we're in this incredibly disruptive uh, phase in agriculture. Right now, all the 
regional packing plants in Washington State have been shut down. Um, there's only two working, and they're only processing their own cattle. So anybody that doesn't have an agreement with those two packing plants in Washington is basically up a creek. And uh, we're going to see some people leave agriculture because of, they don't have a way to get there. They're small operators, and but it's it's a sad state. And everybody's like, oh, well, we're releasing the laws on these. Well, they're still not letting open those packing plants. The dye's already been cast for a lot of ranchers and farmers in Washington. And I'm sure there are other states that are similar. They're not going to come back. So um, that's that's the case. It doesn't matter what laws we pass now to make things better. This pandemic has destroyed a small percentage of the agriculture base, and we just need to face the facts. That's what happened. Everything's going to hell in a handbasket. I don't want to say that. I mean, uh, it's one of these crazy cycles. Definitely, it's one of the weirder ones we've ever been in because it's it's not only markets and everything else. It's we're doing it to ourselves basically uh, more than we ever have before, um, and we're finding out just how related all parts of the economy are to each other. You you can't really just segment one section out and be like, eh, that doesn't matter. Everything is connected because if you know, if the restaurants close down, then nobody's there working at the restaurant. The restaurant's not buying any food. The people who are working at the restaurant are probably buying less food because they don't have a job. Uh, and you multiply that over the entire system and everybody who's trying to produce food, it's got nowhere for it to go. The places that usually get it processed or shut down because of the disease, that can't go out that way. Uh, and it just grinds to a halt, which is what we're seeing. So, you, you know, you have to spin it back up. You got to have all sectors of the market working or time to adjust to the new new thing that's going to happen. I'm not ever going to say a new normal. Um, but unfortunately, as we talked about like last week about the life cycle of the cattle market and it's a live product. It's not, you know, when, when my corn's ready to harvest, I harvest it and I can put it in my silo. Uh, it's a little more difficult with beef. When it's time to harvest, you've got to have someone to do it and somewhere more importantly to store it while that happens. And there's some of that, but it's not, you don't have near the capacity to store a year's supply of beef as you do with your wheat or your peas or anything else, which is always, a lot of times in many ways, stored post-harvest until it could be sold or picked up and shipped to where it's going to the next person. Uh, that, that's part of the, if you will, one way where the beef supply is weak in that segment because it's always moved on to the next stage and never stopped because it's growing and alive and the harvest is pretty in, involved. I, I will say the encouraging thing is I had a lot of sad conversations this week, especially the one with the Washington producers, um, which convinced me that we're never going back to where we were before. Um, there's no way that it's going to happen. Um, but I have talked probably in the last two days, over eight hours to people that are incredibly interested now in the uh, agriculture space because they have, it has now dawned on them as how fragile agriculture is. And uh, man, uh, that's why I say that most of the American public has zero conception of how the agriculture system in the United States works. People and, uh, legitimately think it comes from the store. Yeah. And now that, the, now that the store shelves are empty and they're worried about where their food is coming from, they're waking up to the fact that something's not right in the hen house of agriculture. 
A, it's not I, uh, made in the back of Safeway, and B, yeah. it shouldn't be imported from other countries that we can't depend on. Yep, and I welcome I welcome them, and uh, I've been preaching to people in agriculture that they're going to have to get used to this new Zoom reality that we live in. They're going to have to learn how to talk to different type of people to get ahead. And the ones that don't, they're going to be the casualties of the disruption. Um, really, you're going to have to be nimble and uh, less conservative than you were in the past. And you can there's a bright future ahead of you. But if you're going to put your head in the sand and believe that none of this happened, uh, like I, after I got off that call in the Washington uh, you're basically going to be extinct in agriculture. This is this this is the direction that agriculture is. There's a lot more stakeholders as of COVID-19, mm -hmm. and uh, it's going to be uh, it's going to be a wild ride for a while. And uh, yeah, I just can't emphasize enough to people in agriculture: start educating yourself about your markets, start listening to your customers, and uh, yeah, you're going to have to answer some really weird questions. But if you don't do it, you're going to be a casualty. So, uh, yeah, I think we're always good at finding ways to adapt out of the craziness that comes to us. You know, we don't like it because it's different. Uh, we don't like how we got here, but I, I think you hit on the head, Richard. It's the people who can say, all right, I, I, I'm going to, I'm going to acknowledge where I'm at and what I can do differently or how I can adapt to the crazy shit that's coming at me every day. Um, cause there's two choices. You can say it's not really happening or I don't, I'm not going to buy into it or don't worry about it. Or you can say, how am I going to pivot and make this an advantage uh, and to maximize what I'm going to do? It's not always easy. It's always, it's usually painful. It's stuff you don't want to talk about. It's different. It's scary. It's weird. It pisses you off because you're like, why did this have to happen? I was perfectly happy the way it was before. Well, I, we all were. Um, and it, you know, eventually, yeah, the arm was going to grow back a little bit, but it, the arm's been cut off and we, we got to figure out how to do things with one arm now and, and get better at it. So, um, and that's been the case a lot of times. I think if we look back um, at different points of technology or post-war or, or whatever, that things have been shifted. I think one of the benefits might be that people are really waking up and realizing that ag in the U.S. is extremely important. And like you said, very fragile and people need to, I, you know, I, one of our very first conversations, I think I was asking, like, why has ag been painted as the bad guy so long? in all these different sectors and yeah don't get me wrong we we're not exactly doing everything right all the time but we still have the safest best food you can grow anywhere in the world right here in your backyard and why we've been painted as the scoundrel and the evil corporate guy or however you want to frame it has always made me scratch my head why because it's, it's right here in your backyard well, the best food aren't ever. they talking about, aren't they talking about the big producers not yeah, and that's ridiculous too. I'm sorry. I don't buy this evil corporate. Uh, some of my best friends are quote unquote evil corporate farmers. Now I think sometimes if a huge company just owns it as and they don't know what the hell's going on on the ground, that's one thing, but it's either going to go broke or they're going to do it right. Um, but yeah, I've got great friends. I went to college with them known my entire life that if you look on the definition of what people deem as a evil corporate farm, it's them. Um, and they're not evil. They just happen to be huge in a corporation and farm, farm 15,000 acres. Um, but if you look at them on paper and you just go them down through the list, like, ha, ah, evil corporate farm. You're like, no, that's freaking Dennis and Martha. What, what are you talking was, about? You know, I was thinking more like the Tyson. Well, that's not really a farm. That's like a, 
that's part of the integrators. Yeah. Um, there's good and bad with those a-holes. You know, I think we need that much volume to be able to go through. It needs to be more diverse where it can go. Yeah. But we need a lot of chicken wings at football season. Yeah. I, I'll, and I'll share it with you my perspective on this is um, I also don't believe that they're evil, but I do believe that much of marketing of agriculture and multinational companies has been tied back to the producer which is a totally separate business than those businesses. But they trade on the business of the rancher, the farmer that is basically on the ground trying to do the best for his little piece of land or his animals. And on a, on, for a majority of those people, they do do a wonderful job, and they have been doing a wonderful job since the beginning of our country. But what happens is the corporations do shady stuff sometimes, they get in trouble, and it sit, and the public misconstrues it as coming from the source of where it came from. When that those people on the ground have no control over what the corporation was doing, that was a little bit corrupt or a little bit shady, and so the public just generally lumps everybody in together, and that's how the confusion happens. But. 95% of all ranchers, and uh, we're talking about all sizes, if you're the guy that's on the ground, believe me, you've got a good plan. You're trying to do the very best you can, and uh, you're probably hey. not the – yeah, you're probably not the one that's causing the problem. It's probably way up the – it's probably way upstream from where you are. So you got any light you can turn on or shed in your situation? You just keep slowly drifting into the darkness. <laughs> Joel or me? Joel. Oh, and he's in the dark usually, anyways. But it's even worse now. Let there be light. <laughs> there we are. Which one? Which one do we want? That one? Let's try that. Yeah, the nice ambiance of the closet. Yeah, yeah, you're exactly right, Richard. I think the average person on the ground is trying to do the best job they can to be there the next year, uh, and, and keep going on. And I I remember back to the days when I worked for the cattlemen, and then sustainability was the real just boiling out buzzword. And of course. It was coming from the other side of the aisle, so they were instantly opposed and had their hair up about it. Because um, you need to be more sustainable. And it's like, well, that that's such a subjective word. Uh, yeah, we want to be as friendly as possible. But, you know, the main point is for me to be here next year with my ranch, raising cows and doing the best I can. That To me, that means sustainable. To you, from the other side, you're looking at a completely different thing. Um, and, and that's part of the problem, too, is we're not always talking the same language. So what did you guys learn this week? <laughs> I learned. My, my learning led to a 30-minute dialogue. Awesome. You, you might want to go turn the other light on. It, it turns out the uh, closet's not good enough for you. Sorry. Um, right. What did I learn? Oh, uh, several things. I think I, I learned, A, that I keep stuff way too long. Uh, B, that I, I actually enjoy purging it almost as much as I enjoy having it to begin with. Uh, and I've also learned that um, uh, when you put something for sale online, you get some really, really crazy questions and people. Uh, <laughs> True American just love throwing shit away. Absolutely. Yeah. Right. I, you know, yeah, <laughs> I, I don't think anybody needed the, uh, you know, report card for me from sophomore year of high school. But uh, yeah, I do have a recycling bin that is full as we speak. Um, so I recycle, but uh, yeah. Not, not a tremendous amount of, you know, there's some self-enlightenment, I guess, about stuff and purging and how good it feels. 
uh, to let go of that stuff. That's what I learned. Richard. I <laughs> Why are you been... doing this to me, Richard? Oh, Richard, what's happening? <laughs> How many billion times have you heard that, Bradbury? <laughs> that never even occurred to me. <laughs> oh, oh. I'm going to tell this funny story real quick. When I worked for the cattlemen, there was a great person that worked at the Department of Ag. His name was Richard. And of course, I know the other Richard. And my, I was busy as a one-armed paper hanger one day, and the phone rings, and I just grab it. And I hear, hey, Micah, this is Richard. And I first thing out of my mouth is, oh, Richard, what's happening? <laughs> <laughs> Richard so-and-so from the Department of Ag. And I'd only met him like once or twice, you know, so I didn't know him. And I was like, oh, I thought you were uh, my other friend, uh, Richard. Obviously, you know, what can I do for you, sir? But yeah, that was just like, oh, Richard, what's happening? <laughs> Good lesson for me to make sure I knew who I was talking to. So anyways, sorry, Richard, carry on. Oh, crap. That's gone now. Oh, crap. I totally, I knew it. Part of me kind of deep down wanted to do that anyways. <laughs> oh, I learned. I've been trolling my, I've been trolling my, uh, I'm a member of a group called Top Tier impact anyways interesting group i thought it was a scammy deal at first but it actually turned out to be legit i was like when i paid my membership into it i was like this is gonna either be two hundred dollars that i really miss or it's gonna work out and it luckily it worked top out tier, top tier is subscription based now on instagram uh top I forget. I can't remember if it's top tier investors <laughs> or top tier impacts. I don't know. But uh, I'm, I'm just yeah, saying so top tier on Instagram is a pretty good account to follow. If you guys aren't oh, following okay. it, no, I don't think it's the same account. Then. <laughs> okay. But so I uh, have recently become uh, introduced to a uh, acronym called ESG, which is Environmental, Social, and Government. Or government. Oh, yeah. Are you familiar with this, Joel? Um, I mean, not the acronym, no. But I'm a, I'm aware of corporate responsibility, which is environmental. Uh, what was the other? social and geographic? social and government 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 Governance. 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 Yeah. I mean, I work in governance, so it's the same thing. No, I don't know. What What do you think? Do you think it's a pile of uh? Baloney? Governance? No, this ESG. All of them together. Oh. oh, I don't even know what it is. Oh. It's I think it's how, it's, how it's implemented and how it's defined, I think, is the key. Who's involved, really? Yeah. Yeah. So I've been, uh, I've been trolling them a little bit. Uh, I think it's a terrible way to approach, uh, approach uh, impact investing. If you want to make a difference, probably rolling out social order and governance to improve the environment is uh, not no. the best first step. So uh, it's a really interesting little culture, this group I'm in, because uh, they all desperately want to do something progressive and good, but seem to lack all the social skills and tools that would allow them to do it. Oh, they might actually have a chance then. Huh? They might actually have a chance then. No, I don't, they, I don't, they all want to change the world, but I, I don't know if any of them know a mechanic, uh, you know, you know, just 
basic people are the people that you're going to have to deal with to make huge social change. And if your vernacular is so divergent from those people, I don't think it, I've been telling them, I don't, I don't think it matters how much money you invest. If you can't ever, if those people see, feel that you're culturally separate from them, they're, they'll be happy to take your money, but you're not going to see any impact from it. I mean, well, so if they're if trying, trying to enact change, but you don't think they even know how to describe the change they're trying to enact? I've heard of it called impact of, sorry, guys. No, Joel. Go ahead, Joel. No, I wanted to hear your perspective on this. I, it sounds kind of like you're talking about impact investing. So, I am. Um, I am. Okay. So, a lot of banks now are putting together um, portfolios of funds that you can trade that are full of green companies and environmentally conscious companies. Uh, and it's getting uh, more of a viable investment these days is my understanding so like it's taken years to get to the point where you're actually going to generate a return and your institutional clients aren't going to invest in this shit until <clears throat> until they get a return on it and, and at this point i think it's finally starting to you know be profitable i mean of course you're going to invest in like what tesla and companies like that um yeah i don't know Anyways, it's an interesting new world. I'm learning the ropes of it. Um, I come at it from a much different angle than most <laughs> people. In the you group. come at everything from a much different angle than most people. Well, that's why I love you. And I'm shockingly candid. I, I probably don't have some of the polish they'd like to see. I think that's a that's a that's a quality you need to to keep keep a tight grip on that. Your candor is invaluable. Uh, don't worry about it. Just keep being you. <laughs> Seriously, there's enough people waxing eloquently and full of shit that somebody has to be able to stand up and be like, that's wrong or that's not going to work or I've never seen that happen. So, I mean, granted, I'm there's a lot immune, of ways to tell I'm somebody not, to go to hell, but I'm not immune from waxing either. I know. <laughs> we know that also, but you know, there's. Yeah. Uh, what is that phrase? Like tact is being able to tell somebody to go to hell and make them look forward to the trip. You know, sometimes, <laughs> sometimes that's important. Other times you just feel like you just go pound sand because that doesn't make any damn sense. So I think Churchill said that if I'm not mistaken, not the pound sand. Yeah. Part, but the, yeah. So, and that leads us to our final segment of the week. Da -da 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 the, uh, what was the best thing? Best thing of the week. I'll go first since it's right at the top of my head. I, for the first time since March, I think I was actually in Buenos Aires the last time I was in a restaurant and sat down and had a meal. And today I got to do that with three really good friends here in Lincoln. And we picked this nice little crappy cafeteria kind of cafe that makes like really good pie. And of course you can have breakfast all day long. So at like 1230, you know, you had to have a, had to have a sausage and cheese omelet with some hash browns and rye toast. And uh, I hadn't had that since March. Like I haven't had that kind of meal since a long time, but last restaurant I got to sit down in was in Buenos Aires when there was whores walking up and down the street everywhere and trying to bother you when you're trying to eat. Uh, so that was really good. Yeah. They weren't that good looking. Um, and I'm trying to have a steak. Leave me alone. Um, 
And so, <laughs> what, so you now, didn't want a party? No, <laughs> I'm having a good time right now. Yeah. <laughs> There's some great Vegas stories about me in that. Um, but, you know, it was good to sit down with some good friends and just have some fun conversation, just enjoy hanging out. There was four of us in the booth. We we're just laughing, and having, <coughs> having a good meal and, and talking about some of the stuff we've been up to and just catching up. But it was it was great. You don't realize how much you miss that and how much you take it for granted. So, you know, that was by far my best part of the week was just hanging out with some good friends and having a meal. Now, it wasn't nothing like I can imagine going to Simi's on a Friday would be, but it's as close as I can get right now. So it's pretty damn good. Richard? I'm thinking that uh, I'm still pretty stoked about leasing the place that some of my mentors ran. Absolutely. Some place you would have yeah. called up when you were 12 and want to know if you could buy it when they were done. I think that's one of the best stories I've heard in a long time. Yeah. I'd hate to, we haven't broached that subject with uh, them yet, but uh, hope that never comes up. But no, it's, uh, <laughs> that's a little embarrassing, but you know, hey. Oh, that's awesome. You got to ask. <laughs> but, yeah, uh, shooters got to shoot, no, man. Uh, oh, and, uh, some of my other ranching peers, this uh, pandemic has forced them to check their whole cards, and uh, they might be interested in doing some uh, pretty uh, sort of out there type of stuff that um, I've been around all my life, and uh, just love to have partners to uh, get out there on that edge with me. And I think that maybe this has pushed some of them to that point where they'll. Uh, might be willing to entertain some just wild ass hairbrained ideas that you know just might work you know you never know i love it i love yeah. it beautiful mr joel hey going back to the beginning uh, the best thing of the week is um billy my friend billy and his wife came down from seattle <clears throat> we went camping. I also got to see my buddy Riley and his wife. They came into town from Baker. Oh, nice. For a night. And uh, the bunch of us got together and had some drinks. And so camping was a great time. And coming back, went to the saddle for breakfast the next day. Oh, yeah. I love going. That's a great, great place in P Town Saddles. I hadn't been there since I was 12. We walked in, and Billy was like, This is the first restaurant I've ever eaten in, I think, that doesn't have music. Playing. it's such a quiet strange oh, environment i hadn't really thought about that usually when we go in there well sometimes it's just a couple of us but a lot of times it's there's six to 15 of us in that very back room and just being loud and having fun but yeah that's one of my favorite places in p-town for breakfast good pancakes good. really good pancakes the saddle yeah yeah saddle cj's and roosters are probably three of the best uh if you got two hours go to the rainbow but uh yeah Dude, I've never been to Roosters before. Oh, we used to hit that a lot because it's on the way to golf. And uh, yeah. we had a great waitress who kind of loved us, me and Kurt and Pot Roast, sometimes Big Daddy. And, uh, yeah, she just loved us because we'd roll in there looking rough and having fun still. And, of course, if you have Pot Roast anywhere in the public, and then me, I'm going to be spurring them on. So, anyways. Did you see right golf? Did you see the golf course pictures of the flood? I did. That's crazy crazy yeah. other rock was pretty messy too yeah i saw some video from that, that how was... could you tell oh 
No, easy on P Rock. Damn it, I got some good friends out there. You guys are maniacs. <laughs> Come on, it's a you gotta take every shot at Elgin Pilot Rock in oh, uh, Ontario. You can Elgin. We used to just torture Elgin in college. Oh my God, yeah, yeah it was awful. I had some terrible jokes for Elgin. Yeah, mm. that was that was awful. I did watch the golf match too. That was pretty cool with Tiger and Phil and. And uh, Tom Brady and Peyton Manning. That was pretty fun. Nice. Yeah. Tiger won, right? Uh, yeah. By, by, one, by one hole. Yeah. Tiger and uh, Peyton Manning. That's it. So it's pretty close. Very close. Yeah. Oh, so Peyton finally beat Brady. Awesome. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. If, if Peyton Manning would have been on uh, Phil's team, they'd have freaking just wiped the map with them. No doubt. Peyton was playing like a maniac. Yeah. Phil drove a par four. Uh, was pretty damn cool. And then Tom Brady actually made the putt for Eagle. It was awesome. But yeah. Is that of course. He split his pants? Uh, no, that was a different time. Yeah. That's when oh. he, uh, he holed out from like 140 yards on a par five. I think that's when he split his pants. Yeah. No. Do you ever, do you ever wonder what's left for Tom Brady? Uh, like, yeah. Winning the Super Bowl in Tampa Bay. That's what's left. People have been wondering I mean, that for 10 years. Yeah, good yeah, point, I mean, too. Like, he's done all the masculine stuff you can do. So yeah. He's got to win a different different time without Belichick. That's what he's got to do next. That's Yeah. <laughs> that's about all there is to it. Yeah. So, yeah. Talk about the American success story. Last person picked in the draft. He was, he was seeing some pretty hot chicks before he married Giselle, I think, if I recall. I didn't pay much attention to him, but, uh, yeah. Six Super Bowls and married to her and TB12, and he's doing okay. Now he's semi-retired, moving to Florida. So, yeah, what do you know? <laughs> oh, so uh, we have the. Uh, I think I have the movie to pick for next week and the word of the week also. So, I had, I had a moment of inspiration on the movie. Uh, it's going to be sort of off the beaten path from what we've talked about before. It is on Netflix finally, so I think everybody has access to it. Uh, it's by far one of my favorite things I've seen in the past couple of years. It's, it's fairly new on Netflix. It's called Operation Odessa. And it's okay. about um, when uh, running drugs and when the Soviet Union was falling and all the chaos that was going on by these crazy entrepreneurial types that were uh, buying helicopters and motorcycles and anything else they can get their hands on from the Soviet Republic. It is highly entertaining. Um, my favorite character is the dude they interview on his jet. And that's all I'll tell you. Uh, <laughs> it's just something about that dude, man. I'm like, I want to hang out with that crazy guy. I'd probably die within 30 minutes, but I just want to hang out with that guy. Um, and when you watch it, you'll see, I think, but, um, it is really entertaining. I've probably watched it six or eight times in the past oh, couple of years. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's like when people come over, I'm like, hey, you seen Operation Odessa? And they're like, no. And it was like on, I had it on demand and I'd saved it on my DVR for a long time. And then it finally came out on Netflix just a couple of weeks ago, I think so. Um, but yeah, people would come over and I'd make them watch it. And then they would call me like two weeks later. Dude, what was that movie again? I got to watch it again. So I thought I would share it with the group. And it, it's... Uh, highly entertaining so yeah and i'll good. try to think of a, a good word too so good enjoy it because i got a sucky one for next week 
Outstanding. Sucky word or movie? Movie. Oh, okay. And Jesus, if you're saying it's a sucky movie, God knows what we're going to get drug into with that one. So, of course, by then you might. Favorite. By then you might forget, anyways. We're getting hope. So, uh, any other <laughs> any other statements for the good of the order? We've had a great uh, great conversation. I think this week some different random thoughts. Uh, we missed Mr. Balls uh, a lot in his input, but uh, he must have had something going on with water or hay or. Maybe he's like, I'm just tired of those a-holes this week, and I want some peace and freaking quiet. So <laughs> can't say that I blame you, but <laughs> you tread you down anyways. So anybody else have anything at all want to add? By God. Yeah. Wow. Good. First time. Well, again, can't thank everybody enough for your time, for listening, for liking. Damn it, I forgot viewer mail again. Somebody got to send me a message and remember to get viewer mail put together. Sorry about that, guys. We'll have we had any? Time. Yeah, I get shit all the time. I just don't ever forget to put it on the big pile. So, sorry. Yeah, I feel bad. I just remembered it. So, I'll make me a big note. I'll make an effort to get the viewer mail put together. Stuff that's worth passing on. It's not just an insult to me on a specific topic. But not that it's about because I'm getting insults. Because it wouldn't mean anything to anybody else. So, uh, with that, though, again, everybody, please uh, like and share and tell your friends and your enemies about the Far Reaches podcast. And we'll be back before you know it or maybe before you want it. But Hang on tight. We'll see you soon.